So welcome to the Athletic Evolution podcast. Today I'm speaking with Howard Green, who is the director at H Green Tennis Fit and the head of sports science at Bolton Tennis Arena. So welcome to the podcast, Howard. Uh, thanks for having me, Rob. Brilliant to get you on. So for those who aren't uh, maybe familiar with you initially, uh, can you give us a bit of an overview of your own kind of athletic background? So your kind of sporting journey as a kid, adolescent, etc. Yeah, so I was like a super late maturer um, recently. We had a school reunion, 20 years, and look back at the picture of me as a school leaver, I looked about 12 years old. So I think <laughs> in terms of the, my athletic pursuits were kind of somewhat limited by that. I did play a bit of football, um, played rugby league. Um, my nickname was Sperm because I was small and fast. Um, <laughs> ultimately, yeah, they didn't really, I, I played for local teams, but it didn't go like towards county level when I was a bit younger, I swam um swam also but um it was kind of obviously during the forces um you know physical physical trainings it, it was a big one uh, and when i left i kind of missed that camaraderie and, and and fell into playing more rugby league again um so just playing some local sides over at blackburn and adlington um and then after that um fell into the dark side of crossfit um again it's, it was more around that community um around the mindset the like pushing yourself um always competing so i think it tapped into my mindset as a as a former soldier that kind of that training background um linked to the competition the hard work the intensity um but obviously after a little while as i went down the route of becoming more and more of a strength and conditioning coach um too many of the principles kind of again went against my coaching philosophy in terms of training too hard too heavy too fast too often so migrated away from it mm. so i mean you kind of touched on there obviously your kind of time in the forces so can you talk us through that because that's obviously kind of a bit of a, a pivotal event so when did you join how long were you involved etc yeah so um i was kind of i was 19 when i joined um i immediately finished in school went to work um i've always worked um, I had to take a day off to get my GCSE results um, and before doing my exams my parents said look I've got family over in New Zealand if you do well there's a bit of an incentive we'll, we'll fund you to go and see your granddad in New Zealand so I did okay and went out there and while I was there I got family in Australia so I ended up spending six months in Australia six months in New Zealand um, came back kind of when I left school it was construction when I came back from travels um, started to look into construction again, being a civil engineer. Then I was like, nah, give this a try. Something else kind of went to college and did a computer course, which I hated. And at that time, a few of my friends were in either in training or in and around the, the, the position of, of joining recruit training for the Royal Marines. Um, so I started to explore that, thought I'd give it a crack. Um, People were asking, you know, why why joining the Marines? They're always one of the first ones in. At that time, there wasn't really much happening. Um, there was the odd Northern Ireland tour, um, and then towards the back end, back end of my training, 9/11 happened. Um, so I imagine I remember seeing it, watching it on the TV, and a bit of a start realization. I've still got the newspaper upstairs of uh, the title of the paper. And the next day was we're going to war. So things kind of 
came to a bit of a shock um and yeah so i just i joined at an extremely busy time um I, I i was due to deploy to the initial um to afghanistan early doors when we we're going into the mountains but that fell through um but i ended up deploying to iraq when we invaded um i did a further six month tour in iraq the following year and then i also did a six month tour of afghanistan um in 2006 um, which was pretty heavy going. Um, I kind of knew after that tour, I'd know if I wanted to stay. You have to give 12 months notice if you want to leave the forces. So six month tour plus all your leave when you get back, I'd kind of, I would know whether I wanted to crack on or not. And uh, yeah, I got into a few hurry situations, few kind of incidents where I was kind of knocked unconscious um, by rockets and mines. So I kind of made the decision to stick with leaving. Mm. And then uh, since since the Royal Marines, what's your kind of journey into coaching look like? So so take us through this, that next kind of stage of life. Yeah, so that, that put me at like age 26. Um, so 10 years after leaving school because I didn't go to college. Um, started to have a little look around in, in terms of things that I might be interested in doing. I had a friend who was doing um, a sports science degree. I thought that might be a bit of a stretch. I've been out of school in so long. Um, started to look at what other things they offered and they did um, a sports coaching degree so I thought I was kind of a little bit less intense on the kind of the education side so that was the route I took um, and then within luckily there was a, one of my tutors he was ex-forces as well so he was kind of like top tip it was just literally volunteer your ass off get as much experience as possible um, so during my first year I kind of I was all over the place. I did some stuff with uh, Charlie Council. I did stuff um, at a local rugby team. So I was down there every Tuesday, Thursday evening, Saturday morning coaching and matches Sunday and then also volunteering up at the arena. Um, so lots and lots of experience. Got work at the arena, working with all different groups like um, sports camps uh, during the holidays with Gem Pop Kids. I did uh, specific groups for people, uh, kids with learning disabilities, kids with hearing difficulties, um, specialist groups for people with Parkinson's. So it was really diverse, but in terms of my degree, um, it made doing any sort of assignments a lot easier because I could relate it back to some of the specific um, coaching experience I was doing. So one of the modules was um, coaching specific populations, which I was able to use the um, Parkinson's group four so it was really good that like day in day out the stuff I was learning on my degree um, I was able to apply and, and my daily practice I was able to use within my assignments but it was towards the end of my second year um, the head of the head of tennis at that time we said look if you're interested I'd like to offer you a full-time role at the end of your degree so in my third year, you could change and, and, and make some um, decisions around what modules you do. So I picked like high performance training, high performance conditioning um, and a couple of others that would would feed towards um, helping me become more towards an athletic trainer versus um, a, a sports coach. The the initial plan was to be going to rugby league um, as like a development coach. But at that time and, and speaking with people, you could see that the, the contracts that were being offered were only kind of anywhere between 12, 18 and 24 months long. So I didn't want to go into a level of uncertainty that every 12, 24 months I'd be kind of reapplying for, for a job or fighting for funding. 
Um, and then, yeah, so I finished, finished my degree, did pretty well. Um, just a different mindset going in as a mature student. You know, I wasn't there to go on the lash. I'd done plenty of that in the Marines. It was just about knuckling down and, and doing the best I could. You know, the Marine give, Marines give me very, very high standards that I expect of myself. Um, so I just kind of worked as hard as I could and, and tried to achieve as much as possible. Uh, after finishing the degree, straight on to doing a PT course to give me that kind of um, qualification to train the guys in the gym and then went into doing my uh, UKSA accreditation as well. So kind of just made my way through um, quite big on, uh, like I, I wouldn't have classed myself as an S&T coach until I got that accreditation. Um, so quite big on getting that stuff done as soon as possible um, so that I could really get stuck in with the guys at the arena and the tennis academy. Mm. And then you you were quite fortunate to kind of coach a few high profile individuals in tennis, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of came out of the blue. Um, kind of, it, as everybody says, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, and kind of on, on top of that, like what they think of you. So the story goes, uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger moves to United. He's in a relationship with former world number one, Anna Ivanovic. She's relocating to Manchester. Um, obviously, she like needs to get a physical trainer. Basti asks at Manu. Manu have recently had a tennis coach from Bath in to present. He asks a coach who's now working at Bath that used to work with me for any kind of recommendations. I got recommended. Um, got a bit of a sit-down interview. I think there's like four or five of us um, interviewed. And then a couple of us did a practical um session with her and yeah i got the gig so kind of my main goal of when anybody asked in terms of why i work why i would work so hard why i would invest so much in my education it was to be in the box you know like um the camera going to the box at wimby i wanted to be sat in it so within a short period of time kind of i achieved that and it's kind of like you know it's not about you know the book the secret manifestations but i've got i have literally got a notebook of um it says be in the box and it was kind of a few different ways i thought i could go about that and raise my profile um over time and literally five pages later it actually has anna ivanovich's name there so it's kind of yeah i think if you you say it out loud and people are aware of your aspirations then your name might get mentioned when they get asked have you got a recommendation um so yeah that that, that was that was unbelievable because not only did i start working with a professional player it was literally at the one of the highest ends in terms of um her profile her previous levels um the money involved as well in terms of we would stop at exceptionally high um hotels and we were massively looked after on all fronts um in terms of our expenses and where we would eat and where she would take us for meals so absolutely unbelievable experience um very very lucky that my head of sport and my wife were supportive of that because i was away a hell of a lot um but it also gives you that insight of you know you have this you have these aspirations that you look on the horizon and that's when i get there then i'll i will have achieved i will be um yeah i'll get validation when i'm there and, and sometimes when you get there you realize all oh, right it's not quite as amazing as i thought you know you kind of you're living out of a suitcase um jet lag 
your schedule's uncertain, the stress levels are obviously higher. Um, what your wife asks, can we go to a wedding at this time? And you go, I don't know. <laughs> it's not like you can put leave requests in. It's like literally, I don't know where I'll be in the world. I don't know if she needs me to train. I don't know if she needs to be at a tournament. So there are all some of the like non-glamorous and, 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 and non-positive things of working at that level. Um, but yeah, unbelievable experience. Um, unfortunately, I joined the team or at that time it was... It, it, it was it was never going to go where I wanted it to go in terms of my standards because she she had made decisions quite early on I think to become um, more of a family person I think the decision to um, retire was made probably around the time that I joined but was only announced much later on so it's quite a tough gig to to for me to have such high standards of myself and the people that I work with and and, and to to feel deep down that actually tennis wasn't a number one priority so that that, that was quite tough to deal with um, and then subsequent to that I've, I've, I've had some experience working some other other pros and did some travel with um, a British player Naomi Brody as well um, so I've been lucky to to get around a bit been at some big tournaments um, so I feel as and when I go back into that world if I do um, I'll feel better prepared to what to expect Mm-hmm. So you've already kind of mentioned high standards and kind of referred back to your time in the Marines as being kind of key in shaping that. So how has your background in the Marines influenced you both as a person and in your kind of coaching capacity? Yeah, so like, um, you know, we have we have key commando qualities um, that we uphold ourselves and, 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 and hold each other to. Um, these are kind of sort of this excellence, integrity, self-discipline, humility, courage, determination, unselfishness and cheerfulness in the face of adversity because there's many times that, that you're going to need to rely on that, that quality in, in dark times or in severe times. But, you know, it, it was both a blessing and a curse. And I think probably the one around excellence is one that I've not dropped, but it's not, I, I'd feel like, because when we join you basically when you finish it's eight months late you, you're pretty much brainwashed um you're brainwashed to go to war you're brainwashed to believe that that city street is crap civvies are i'll not use the word but like the you know the military is the only way um and you fully 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 believe that and also it's drummed into you that the marines are the best as well we're better than the army we're better than the paras we're better than this this this, this. so you know you need that little bit of like confidence and arrogance if you're going to go to war but i think i carried that that excellence or the me feeling the need to be the best to pass courses as quick as possible to get the highest mark and everything i ever do is unless i achieve that that's you know anything else is unacceptable and it's probably only recently and, and i always knew like having a child would change me but you know I don't feel that way anymore. I kind of, I don't feel the need to get validation via working with certain players to be seen at certain tournaments or to be, you know, presenting at certain places. I've kind of just, I'm happy in my own little world of kind of doing the very best I can, day in, day out, making the academy as best as I can, making myself as best as I can. But ultimately, I don't need, I don't no longer seek validation through external things. So, you know, it set me up to be, you know, 
unbelievable qualities in myself. Um, but also there's, 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 there's good and bad sides to some of those. But, you know, I think as a person, some of the key ones I continue to have in terms of that, like that humility, uh, humility and selfishness, you know, great personal qualities to have. But that desire and need to see myself as an elite person or an elite practitioner, whatever that means, I feel like I've, I've kind of I've let that go. I don't need that anymore. Mm. So besides the your experience in the Marines, are there any specific people that have influenced your kind of coaching development or your kind of trajectory? Yeah, I've been I've been really quite lucky um, in terms of the people I've had around me, both in tennis and out of tennis. Um, I think over the past probably two years, I've got some really really good people around me that are super positive. Um, they see good things in me and, and, and they're not afraid to tell me about it which is nice um, I am a people pleaser I do like a pat on the back every now and then um, I am harsh on myself I probably in the past haven't backed myself as much as I should and these, I mean these kind of core people around me have, have, have been, been huge in that um, so people like I've got Darren Roberts I've got um, Cy Brundish I've got my friend who's a physio who I meet every single week. Um, initially, it was to physically get me ready and out of hamstring tendinopathy to run a 10K um, across 12 weeks. But we now we just keep that in the diary. So every week we chat. It could be work-related, business-related, or just you've got to get something off your chest that you're struggling with. So having that literal in the diary, talking, almost therapy. He's like, he's done NLP and stuff. So if, if, if I'm a bit negative about myself, he'll always pull me up on it. Um but yeah, having these people around me and, and, and boosting my confidence and, and, and saying that they believe in me and et cetera, et cetera, has really helped. Um, and then some core people like in and around tennis, just like super, super positive people, but like older as well. I think everybody should have people in their circle that are much, much older. Like one of my key class of mentors, Keith, he's like 70, 75 plus. And he's one that would always say to me like, you know, pat you on the back for your thirst for learning, but you're forever like looking to the horizon and you don't take stock of, you know, you're not present, you're not like enjoying the successes you're having now or you've had. And it's always that, again, what I touched on that validation, I'm always looking ahead to, well, I'll be, I'll be seen as a better practitioner when I've done that course or mm-hmm. when I go and see Dan Baker for a weekend, then I'm going to have these qualities. When I buy that book, then I'm going to have that knowledge. It, it, it was, it's always looking ahead, looking ahead, looking ahead, and and you know collecting badges like a scout that I've got this qualification, I've got this resource, and I've been on this course. So I kind of he he pulled me up on that, and then another good friend, another experienced coach who's been in the game 20, 20 odd years, um, always just says, look, the best you know the best you can do is your very best job with the person in front of you, whether whatever level they are you know whether they're just a county player or they are a former world number one all you can ever ask of yourself is to give your best effort in that session to to rock up prepared to reflect after um bring good energy uh, set high standards and and regardless of who, who you're working for if you instill those qualities ultimately like keith said you know we're, tra- we're working on people skills as well mm-hmm. um the reality 
you know, because we're, we're talking about working with the youth guys who are not on the tour and the reality of how many are actually going to get to that level, it's, it's just, it's, it's going to be yeah. ridiculously small, but the stuff that we can use, <clears throat> like our S&C for and the sport of tennis to develop their life skills, it, 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 it's so broad and, and, I, and I see that probably, I, I enjoy that more than anything, like I've probably just sent away, you know, I've been at the academy now 10 years and we've just like last uh, August, August just gone, sent guys out to the um, to American universities that I work with from anywhere to seven, eight, nine, ten years. So it's kind of like I've probably had more impact on that person as an athlete and as a person than doing 20 weeks a year on the road with somebody who's paying you this or the top ten or whatever. You know, like what, what sort of impact are you having on that person's life? So I kind of... I take a lot more satisfaction in building the relationships with the players I have now and them keeping in touch with me when they're away or when they come back from America. So I probably enjoy having that wider impact on, on the people I work with now and that's kind of come from all those mentors feeding that into me. Mm. So do you think your kind of, uh, I guess, your motivation for coaching has shifted away from being in the box to making making an impact in individual, individual lives? Yeah, I mean... You know, ultimately, I, I, I get a lot of joy from helping people, um, you know, in terms of all the, the those roles that I talked about earlier, you know, like working with the people with the Parkinson's. Um, I also used to do, um, work with people with learning disabilities one on one. Um, so it, it doesn't really matter about the context. So I feel like I'm helping someone and that and, and that might be via knowledge of energy system development. If I can explain to somebody look, this is why we've got to do these tough drills. Um, it's going to work on your body and your mind and you can explain and that helps them. You know, if they're stood on the baseline and they don't have the belief that they can outlast the opponent and via training we can create that belief, then that that for me is, is a win as much as as anything. So I kind of, that's my main why, is really to just, just to feel like I'm helping people. Mm. And obviously your work kind of more recently is in around that kind of children and adolescent kind of age group. So what is it that kind of out of helping people generally kind of draws you to that that age group? Is it just the opportunity that, that arisen or is it something a bit deeper than that? Obviously, the, like, I live 15 minutes away from work, so I love that. Um, it's just good fun. Like it doesn't feel like a real job in that. I go to work, work in tracksuit trainers, shorts and t-shirt every day. Um, you know, if I get to work with the youngest guys, then it's literally just having a bit of a laugh with them. You've obviously got some key things that you want to go over in the session, but, you know, a, a couple of summers ago, I was I, I nearly left to go and work in golf. Um, and in the summer, we, we get outside, we've got five-side football pitches, we get out there, um, play a bit of footy, and I was like, I'm actually getting paid to have a laugh with these kids and have a kick about versus going back into a stressful world where, you know, the small things really, really do matter and, you know, guys competing at the, the highest level, the kind of stress and demand that's going to come with that versus what I'm doing right now. Um, mm. That's that, that that's why I, I enjoy it. And, and as I touched on before, you know, like trying to instill these, these live qualities into them as well. So it's, it, even if it's little things like, 
Okay, let's just check your trading load data. Ah, it's not up to date. Right, have you ever set a reminder in your phone that goes off every day? No, I've not. Okay, let's try that. So, tiny little things and teach them how to be a little bit more organised, how to be a bit more accountable, to take more ownership. Um, you know, they're, they're very mouldable. And these are all skills that they've not developed yet. So, to be able to thread that stuff in and around our training, um, again, it, it's something that I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really that developmental aspect. You're seeing literally a person kind of come out their shell, develop and flourish, and pick up a whole lot of skills that they just didn't have at 10, 12 that's years it. old, isn't it? That's it. That's it. Yeah. And and, and as I say, we're, we're we're quite lucky that we, I mean, we get to see them as young as five, and you know, we do the way that the academy is and the culture and the environment we have. They tend to stick around as well. So it's kind of nice to see them go on that journey. I was looking through a hard drive. Um, last week and pulled up some professional photographs we had done and, and they're from 2013 and one of the girls that I work with a lot um, she's in the video seven years ago where she's like five years old um, it's just nuts to think wow she's been in and around the training program that long I've been a part of her life for that long it, it, it's pretty nuts when you actually take stock like you know, I'm lucky I've been in one place um, and around these people for a long time but yeah when you actually think back or I watch a video of an old physical competency assessment and they're doing a squat and they're an absolute car crash and they're you know, <laughs> three foot tall three or four foot tall and, and now they're a six foot two 75 kilo beast you're like yeah it's just it's, it's, it's good to look back and see the journey that they've been on um, as a person athlete and, and, and obviously like growth and maturation. Mm. So do you have a particular kind of model or philosophy that you try to adhere to in your, your day-to-day coaching or any kind of guiding principles? Yeah, I mean, so I've actually done quite a bit of work on this with um, John Noonan. Um, do a bit of coach mentoring with him uh, in that he mentors me. Um, and this was a task that he set me to do early doors and, and definitely took me longer than I thought it would. Um, but yeah, I've, I, I mean, I've come away with with a, a specific philosophy, a specific kind of mission statement um, and, a, and a, set, a, a set kind of, I've got this, this little PowerPoint presentation, but in terms of, you know, it's, it, it encompasses my thoughts, beliefs, concepts and attitudes about everything. Um, uh, the way I approach my life and that it's going to be flexible, it's going to change. You know, I've got, if, if I've got to pick one word, it's going to be ambitious um you know which is can be a blessing and a curse because so, i might take on too much or push too hard um you know i have a strong desire to and determination to succeed via that be, being ambitious but like i say the flip side is i might take on a bit too much um for example booking in and delivering a conference when we're maybe supposed to be going on holiday so i got a bit pulled up for that the other day um, <laughs> yeah 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 is it, oh that's my dad's 70th weekend ah right okay yeah not run that by you um but then yeah so like if it comes down to a philosophy i've kind of summarized it in kind of two and a half lines so it's i will use my professional knowledge and personal experiences to model and encourage high performance habits and training mindset and lifestyle mm. so I guess that, you know, because I am, you know, I'm older, I'm 38 years, 38 this year, and I have done quite a wide variety of life experiences with the forces and travel and, 
I, I just feel like I'm a, a much more mature person that I can, in, the, in any situation, try and pick out what might be a little life skill. Um, you know, a player, he asked me for feedback at end of sessions and yesterday it was around attention to detail. Um, I asked you to lead. You made mistakes on the first two exercises through not kind of reading the, the, the program I gave you properly. Okay, you no, that's come away from you. Right, next person lead. You can have another goal next week. So I guess like, yeah, just being a bit older and, and being able to call on previous life experiences um, does help me in my day-to-day practice. Mm, it's an interesting one because, I mean, you're in a fairly similar position to me in that you're potentially working primarily in a sport that you perhaps haven't played to a, to a high level yourself or even to any great, I guess, duration. But we kind of talked about this off, off air as well, is that actually you've got a massive uh, wealth of experience in a high performance context. It's just that it yeah. was a different context. It's not on a tennis court. Well, that's it. So I'd like mega hang-ups and actually probably should have mentioned that in terms of when you, the very first question around athletic background and like, you know, literally any podcast you listen to people uh, in our field will have had a stab at it you know even mm-hmm. people have done pretty well or they'll say yeah I was a frustrated athlete um, you know I worked my ass off I trained hard realized I would never succeed but I loved the training that made me more of an athlete and for years I was like oh, mega chip on my shoulder that I, I couldn't regale that and then Actually, probably it was, it was Darren, um, Darren Roberts. That's really unlocked me, unlocked me using my military background again. Um, that I was a tactical athlete, you know, like mm-hmm. I was very a very high performance level as well. So, you know, I now take that six years in the forces as part of my high performance career or the number of years I've been involved in something like this. Um, because we was exceptionally fit, we, you know, we were unbelievably fit. We're kind of operating at the highest level um, that you possibly can, um, both in training and in on operations. So, yeah, that was a big realisation for me that actually stop being so damned hard on yourself. You have been an athlete. You're a tactical athlete. You know, it doesn't mm. need to be a ball involved. So, yeah, that was a big one for me, kind of reflecting and, and realising that and, and how that impacted me positively and, and no longer had that chip on my shoulder anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, in education, they're big on transferable skills these days, aren't they? But if you look yeah. at the transferable skills of of being in the forces, particularly in a, you know, a situation like the Royal Marines, we've, we've within Scottish rugby, we kind of do a, maybe even twice a year, actually, we go and do some some work with the Royal Marines and our growth and um, some other sites and stuff. But if you, I mean, if you look at some of the, the skills that are required in high performance sports, so performing under pressure, managing stress, being able to recover, I mean, there's no greater situation that emphasizes those skills than, than literally the threat of life and death, isn't it? Of course. And that, you know, we chatted briefly beforehand in terms of, you know, further impact of the forces. And I think, you know, now I've unlocked. You know, and one of my mentors, Keith, from day one, he met me. He said, "You are sat on a gold mine of information, strategies, stories, tools to to help these tennis players." And I just wasn't in a mental place to use it. It wasn't, you know, it's, it's kind of when you leave, you can kind of go through a phase where you don't appreciate the good times, you don't appreciate the positive that it's given you. You only see the bad. Um, mm. But yeah, for me, I think the principle of preparation um, and rehearsal 
are for sure things that can be used within sport. Um, and and having very high pressure situations where you know it builds up over time as they get older or closer to bigger competitions. But you know having consequences and and, and uh, to poor training performances, um, you're only as good as your worst level. And if your worst level that you put in in the week is terrible, you, you there's a good chance you'll drop to that in a high stress position a situation while you're competing. If we had a poor level. And it was tested at the highest level as well being shot at that's pretty dangerous for you and those around you so you know i think there's certainly things we can take away um in the preparation um like literally your admin like literally having your bag packed literally thinking about your nutrition what you're going to do in the morning setting your alarms etc etc all positive off-court traits that will help you on there the more mm-hmm. organized you're off you are off the court the more organized you are on the court the way you do the small things is the way you do the big things so you know the way you approach life will reflect in high stress situations so it's definitely an area i'd like to explore um mm-hmm. in practice and principle and start to, you know maybe present on it a little bit as well um in, in terms of what principles can we adopt and use and, and start to apply in our day-to-day sports coaching as well Mm. I think it's that kind of life admin and organization is one that I kind of come back to a lot with my guys, um, particularly when we talk about nutrition and preparation. Like yeah. if you if you rock up to training and the best thing you've had is a Tesco meal deal, the problem happened long before you walked into Tesco. Yeah. The issue was you had no you had no prior planning around what you were going to eat that day. And now you're limited by what Tesco has to offer. So the issue is not a nutritional issue. The issue is, a, is an organizational issue, but people will treat it as if it's a, a nutrition issue. And that's something I kind of try to to hammer into my guys is actually you need to be planning and organizing ahead, sticking your kid out. I mean, the number of times I've had players go, oh, I forgot my boots. I'm like, this this is your craft. Like you've forgotten your boots. Yeah. That's that's a, a killer mistake. You just mm-hmm. you're not going to get better today because of a stupid error in planning. Yeah. Oh, my mum didn't put my trainers in my bag. No, 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 I'm going to shoot you down pretty harsh here, dude. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, they've got to learn to stand on their own feet. Like, for example, we have, I have create a WhatsApp group for every player that I work with because there's myself, there'll be another, there'll be at least one technical coach in there. Some guys have a sports psych in there there's, and then put the parent. Mm-hmm. And I'll always, always write a message and I will say, player, question, yeah. question, question. And, probably eight out of ten times mum answers yeah. or dad answers like no you're missing the point here yeah, yeah so it's tough but like yeah trying to trying to develop that ownership in them um it's tough because as a parent you only want to do the best for your child but sometimes you gotta have that little chat with them and go look they've got to stand on their own two feet make a few mistakes mm-hmm. rock up without the trainers etc etc but yeah the more that the I, I nicked it from shin it's given about kind of do you make your bed do you put mm-hmm. your pots in the dishwasher etc so these little things that if you, the mum looks at you and goes like nah it doesn't do any of that then there's probably some wins to be had there before yeah. we even talk about physiological adaptations yeah definitely like i had it's funny i had this exact discussion with a player last friday um he'd kind of not not i guess taken on the information that was in the whatsapp group that, that training was restarting after christmas on a specific day and he said, oh, my mum thought it was Friday. And I said, was your mum trying to be a professional rugby player? Mm-hmm. 
Like, it's not your mum's responsibility, it's your responsibility. Like, at the end of the day, when you step out on court or you step out on the pitch, your mum or your dad is not there making the tackles for you or hitting the, you know, the overhead smashes for you. You're doing it. Yeah. And and when I've worked with athletes who've gone on to the next level and are at that pro level, they're the ones who drove their programme. Yes. They're not the ones who were passengers on the bus, they were driving the bus. That's it. And, I mean, there's no... They're abnormal. Like, the, hmm. the guys that are going to succeed are abnormally disciplined abnormally focused um and it's good to see like people go on little journeys and especially i think i need to read more around it but like touch base with sean cummings around some of the uh, brain chemistry mm-hmm. that that happens around maturation as well um we discussed that like the receptors for pleasure um reduce in that you know, you'd go on and do your tennis session and purely just by participating, you'd feel great about it. And that response dissipates as we get older. So the kid's not now getting that just general inherent fun from competing. It almost starts to become work at times. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good to see the ones that gain that realisation of that and push on. So, you know, eventually we want guys, if we call a, a play development meeting, getting the player to kind of cheer it a little bit um, and take that mm. ownership because then it's quite, you know, crazy sport in that they're an individual athlete. They're out there. They often have the referee themselves. There's lots of international challenge, uh, tap travel and, you know, a lot of systems in which they need to um, compete and do well in terms of ratings and rankings and points. So, yeah, I, I, for sure, the guys that kind of apply themselves the best in day-to-day life I've seen to go on and do better than those that yeah. are just a bit of a car crash. Um, I've got a great later. story about that. Um, so I was working with a, a group of individuals uh, preparing for a, for a tournament and uh, one particular player had an allergy to a certain type of food and uh, we were in a team meeting and I suddenly noticed this guy spitting in the bin and that's fairly unusual in this environment, especially when the coach is trying to address the team. So I've kind of had a little whisper in his ear. I said, what's going on? He said, oh, I've just eaten this thing, and I've realized it's got this substance in it that I'm allergic to. And so I said to the physio, I was like, you better get the recess bag. We're going to have an issue here. And everything was fine. It all worked out fine. But in the kind of debrief post-event, the discussion was, well, why don't you check the label? Mm-hmm. There's a 16-year-old individual, and his response was, well, my dad normally does it for me. Yeah. To which my response yeah. is, how are you still alive? I was going to say it's quite a dangerous uh, yeah. life skill not to have. Well, it's, I mean, do you do you not leave the house? Is that how this works? Like, does yeah. your dad check everything that goes in your face? Like, that's unreal to a level of, yeah. you know, you're actually doing a disservice there, aren't you? Because that's potentially fatal. Definitely. So, you know, that's that's taking a helicopter parenting to another level. Um, so we've mentioned kind of, you know, the the uh, Royal Marines background. And I know one of the things you're really keen on using in your coaching and kind of philosophy is, is acronyms. So can you talk us through, yeah. you know, why you do that and some examples of, of what you use? Yeah, for sure. It's a forces thing. Um, I, I, I knew you were going to ask this. So I've gone and trying to find um, some of the more obscure ones. And I've been in it, unable to do it. But like, for example, it, and, it, and it's it's needed because there's certain things you need to do under pressure. So that, I wouldn't say that's why I do it, but like that's where it comes from. It comes from military. So like for battle preparation, it's P-A-W-P-E-R-S-O. P-A-W-P-E-R-S-O. So it's just a random word, but it's protection. 
making sure you've got all your kit sorted in terms of your helmet and your body armor and stuff like that. Sort your ammunition out, check your weapon, make sure it's clean and oiled, maybe you check fire it. Your personal camouflage, um, your helmet, your bergen, camouflage your face up. Double check your equipment again, make sure everything's prepared, nothing's hanging off. If you're an observation uh, specialist, make sure you've got your binoculars. If it's a nighttime um, operation, you've got your night goggles, um, radios, you've checked your batteries, you've checked the frequencies, you've checked that it's working, you've done a radio check. Any specialist equipment, are you somebody who's going to carry a ladder to assault um, a compound or have you got explosives? And then orders, you know, you can actually go through the specific plan um, as a group, as a section, as a company, as a battalion, and then what specific tasks have you got? So there's, it's it's always like a, it's a, either a random or obscure uh, mnemonic, but there's a lot of things that it will cover. So I guess I've just, just brought that with me um, into this world and, yeah, kind of either bastardised and created one or use one that it, it, it just makes sense so like some of the ones like they're probably the key ones probably four um so for coordination so this is no particular order just but just helps me remember different elements which is rb radio so reactions balance rhythm adaptability differentiation interoperability and orientation so that's just helps me remember it um then others um that kind of match exactly uh, what's going on so a specific one i use is reader um so if we're looking at the player on the court this is our opportunity to observe um very specifically what's going on it would then allow us to make interventions to train anything that's breaking down and also allows communication between um, myself, the technical coach and the player. So that goes from read the opponent, react to the opponent, explode off the spot, accelerate to the ball, decelerate around the ball, execute the shot, footwork recovery, and then the repeatability of that. But this is one that I kind of have done more work on because for me, each one of those have a trainable quality. So the reading element, that's your cognitive um, skills of, of anticipation, pattern recognition, uh, the reaction. Um, you've got actually got pre-muscle pre activity before you make a movement. Um, I'm, I'm very much linked into the perception of, is it going into my forehand, to my backhand? Is it going to be short, wide, deep? Um, the explode of the spot is linked very much to the split step itself. Uh, so in tennis, we before they hit, we jump in the air a little bit. Um, so that when we see the racket face, we can land asynchronously and push off in the correct direction. And that links to stretch shortening cycles, the acceleration to the ball in terms of concentric running mechanics, the deceleration around uh, eccentric isometric strength, the execution of the shot encompasses all those things we talked about on the coordination side through RB radio, the specific recovery uh, footwork that we can use, positions that we need to recover to. Um, with maximal intent and then the repeatability of that is under stress under fatigue um, uh, throughout the match um, so they're the kind of one that I'm just helped me remember a bunch of net words one that's very very specific um, to observing tennis movement 
And then we have the philosophy at the arena, which is own it. So in itself, um, that when we just use that word, um, we, ownership, work ethic, no excuses, inner determination and teamwork again. We can keep hammering that and, and, and build it to the language that the players use. So with that one, what we're doing um, in our termly report is picking one of those key qualities. Um, so last term it was uh, work ethic. And then we will grade them. Are they at a developmental stage, acceptable stage or exceptional stage of that? And we'll have kind of some written definitions around what that looks like in terms of where you're at right now. So nobody got exceptional. People got acceptable and pushing towards exceptional, but it just gives them a bit of a steer. It's subjective, but within it, there'll be some key areas that can be picked up on um, in terms of, you know, they arrive on time each time to do the warm up. They may stay a little bit later um, to do the recovery work, um, unconditional effort in every drill that they ever do. Um, so that's kind of a cultural and, and, and philosophy one. And then um, most recently, smash. So smash, trying to use kind of um, tennis language, um, and that is effectively the system that Simon and I are bringing out, which is called um, super movers. So that's strength, movement, agility, stability, and honing skills. Um, some of that language has changed based on previous presentations that I've done with yourself, um, and I've done with James Baker at Performance, where we had kind of had stability mobility agility strength and honing sports skills so we've just adjusted it slightly um to become more of a framework um that we will use uh, within a session so you will follow that framework um within a session so tell us a little bit more about the kind of collaboration with uh, Simon. So obviously Simon's been on the podcast before and kind of we, we discussed this superheroes program. So give us a bit of an insight into the, the super mover program in terms of, uh, I guess, what information you can reveal at this stage. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, so it, it should be good to go in the next few days. Um, we I first met Simon at one of Darren Roberts's events, which is like a performance forum. Um I presented on sports specific training. Uh, it was the question, yes or no. I said yes, because I think some of the stuff that I do in my sessions on that coordination side would be class sports specific. So we kind of got to know each other after that day and linked to his kind of creative mindset. We kind of realized we were both on a similar page. We've, we've kept in touch since. We've used superheroes um, at the academy with the younger end with the mini tennis program. Um, we've talked for a while in terms of how do we use that as a, as a as a foundation and a framework to then build up and do more sports specific things um but kind of the principles and like the pitch if it's an elevator pitch is um you know we all understand the dangers of early sports specialization um the reality of tennis it demands high volumes to get the technical work done and unfortunately that can lead to them coming out of school and missing PE um, due to um, doing individual sessions and squad sessions, it starts to reduce their ability to do other sports. So very quickly um, and unfortunately, tennis becomes the only sport, and we know that that's that that's dangerous from a from an overuse injury standpoint, burnout, decreased enjoyment, etc. And um, so the thought being that. 
the people that spend the most time with these athletes are actually the technical coach. And from my experience of speaking, they're probably not super, super confident in delivering the physical training that could offset some of these risks um, to do with the earlier specialization and the overuse injuries. So what we're doing with this program is, is kind of coming away from what would be just general coordination development, which there are products out there that, that work on that and do a great job of it. But this is more going to push towards athletic abilities. So as I've mentioned, there's going to be strength components, which will use the superheroes program. There'll be um, speed and agility components linked to general and specific movement. Um, uh, and as well as uh, developing general physical qualities. So, you know, if we're going to go for a target age group, it could be from kind of six through 12. Um, and yeah, and it's kind of like, we want to empower tennis coaches to feel confident with this stuff. Um, so giving them the tools um, to, from a principle standpoint. So we've got several tiers of the program. So people are going to be able to pick up the program. So if you're an existing SNC, you'll pick it up on a monthly subscription. You've got that in your pocket. You can use that at any time with any of your athletes, really. You can have access to the superhero stuff. So any any youth athlete that you're going to work with, you're going to be able to use this product to, to create little fun warm-ups, little fun movement breaks within sessions. Um, so it's going through key principles that can underpin the program with guys. So improving the cuts or observation skills, task modifications, ensure that all players are suitably challenged. So that sweet spot where you're slightly uncomfortable, but it's not completely unattainable or too easy. Um, and it's linking the shapes that are created via the superheroes program, uh, the fundamental patterns of squatting and lunging and crawling and bracing and linking them and then calling them shapes instead um, and getting them to understand how those shapes translate from a general setting to very very specific settings on the court and understanding that if they're limited in the general so if they, they struggle with lunge patterns and what on court they're struggling to hit an open stance forehand which is pretty much just in a lunge shape okay it might be better to work on this general stuff rather than keep hammering and hammering away with a ball and racket so the shapes is the biggest one um, and, and getting them comfortable. What does that shape feel like? How might you coach the shape? How might you disguise the shape into a fun warm-up or a fun, fun drill? Um, but ultimately, yeah, just really developing that confidence in delivering what they might see as specialist training. Um, these guys deliver unbelievably technical sessions with the guys. Um, if you have a look uh, or try and break down the serve, there's so many moving parts that to ask somebody and educate them to watch a squat and only look for five things versus up to 25 things that could be going on in a serve, um, just really empowering them and demystifying this stuff um, and, and making them feel comfortable in delivering it regularly. Mm, I think that's the thing, isn't it? And this is, again, the strategy I'm taking with with technical coaches and when I'm doing workshops is you're, you're, already, you're already a movement expert. It's just the mm -hmm. context is football or rugby or tennis. All we need to do now is just tune your eye into the movement you want to look for in a squat or lunge or jump or land. So it's the same skill set. It's just changing the context. So it's actually not a giant leap to get people more competent in delivering SNC or athletic development. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. Like you said, you know, they're tuned to see at times probably more 
more finer details than we might. So, as you say, if we can bring them away and, it, and it's not a fine motor skill, it's a gross motor skill, um, the, the stationary, you've got time, you can walk around the athlete to observe from different angles. Um, that's much easier to, to take the opportunity to work with the athlete than in a very dynamic setting such as live tennis play. Mm-hmm. So what tools do you think coaches need to be need to have, sorry, to, to be effective in coaching youth athletes, whether that's kind of technically speaking or SNC wise? I think it's that kind of the, don't take yourself too seriously. Um depending on the age, um, especially with the younger guys, so the stuff we just discussed in terms of uh, superheroes and things like one of the exercises is a, is a burpee which you jump up uh, like Hulk and, and you flex your biceps well if you're not willing to do it and shout out mm. loud on the court they're unlikely to come on the journey with you mm-hmm. um, so yeah I, I think if we're going to expect them um, to do these things we've got to be willing to go there too so the more that we can kind of make the session um more fun with the younger age uh, but also I always find like I'd always keep guys at arm's length like I'm the professional um, I've got to take this stance where you know I've got to set the exam um, yeah it's kind of yeah getting to know the person um, ultimately get to the point where they are willing to run through a brick wall for you Mm-hmm. And they don't see it as this guy's just being a douchebag with me. Yeah. Um, so even taking on a new player in September, I probably used the first first several weeks, maybe the first block of eight weeks, just to get to know the guy. Get to obviously we worked on the things he needs to work on, but I kind of wanted to see how I might be able to push him, how he might react if I push him. So mm-hmm. it's almost like, for example. He's asking me questions about CrossFit, and I was just like, this is this is why, and, and there's timed drills, and there's certain workouts, you've got to do this, and oh, right, right, and, it, and he started to show an interest um, in that sort of mentality, and I was like, oh, I will, we'll give it a go, oh, oh no, no, so he kind of, he's he doesn't like pushing himself, but you put him in the situation, and we just did some wall balls, um, he had a go, and I said, oh, it's an all right time, and he's like, well, what would you get, so I smashed him. Uh, right I I want another goal then so I was like that's a great little insight he doesn't want to like doesn't like it but he'll do it um so yeah it's just little things like that I guess and I remember a day where it was a Friday we'd had a tough training week it was kind of like I said last it was Friday like one of the last sessions of the week was like 4 p.m um we've pushed them hard they're ready for a break um and some of the guys started to like spread w- worried that we're going to do a yo-yo test mm-hmm. um so i just went with it and uh i went all right yeah yeah yeah. we're doing a yo-yo and they're like all like gasping a bit i'm like i go to the point where i move the net because i put it on wheels i set out the 20 meter line i put the audio on i get them to practice the first few levels just so we get going and you can see like they're in like mentally they're not in a good place they don't want to do this but they are going to do it mm-hmm. regardless and then I just cut the tape and went we're not doing it really and it was just that moment of these guys are willing to do something they really don't want to do for me um, um, so yeah just that, that relationship and, and understanding um, how you might buy that buy into the point where they are willing to to work their ass off for you 
um, is as important as anything, I think. Mm. So are there any resources that you would point people towards? Um, I think key guys, um, you know, some of the guidance that's been put out by Rodri um, in terms of the youth physical development model and some of the guidelines and, and, and I don't, maybe just insights how you might differ your um, differ your program for a pre-circum and post uh, puberty athlete. Um, I think even, but that can be used further. Like, so I, I, sometimes I'll come to the the one that he gives for like the agility development where you've got your three components of fundamental movement skills, change of direction skills, and then reactive agility training and how the percentage of that might differ from different ages. So I'm not as rigid as I go, oh, you're not allowed to go to this percentage of reactive agility training. Mm. I might go in different phases of training. Okay, I might move from more fundamentals into more change of direction skills into more reactive agility training over an X week cycle or over the, over a couple of half terms. So I kind of, I'll look at it. I don't feel like pigeonholed by it that I'm not allowed to do this stuff with somebody who's um, circum or pre-puberty because a lot of our guys have got decent training ages. As I said, mm-hmm. they've kind of been in and around the program from young ages. So th- 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 they've got that kind of, that base. Um, some of the stuff that like Avery puts out, he put something out like the F words of, of youth development yesterday that I need to have a look at around fitness mm-hmm. Fun and function um you've got and and there's a tennis specific guy called ruben nayans yeah i'll ping over the spe- the spelling um you know he put some good coordination stuff out um some of it you're a bit like okay it's too far down the rabbit hole of circus tricks but other stuff you're like no no that might be a fun little little five minute finisher at the end of a warm-up just to tune up the brain um so i i, I quite like his stuff as well um yeah, so it's probably quite diverse, the stuff that I look at. Um, and, and and some of the other coaches that are probably non-youth specific but have been influential for me are some um, American guys such as um, Eric Cressy and uh, like quite like Mike Robertson's approach as well. The, um, the, 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 the systematic way of approaching things. Yeah, they've been quite influential on me as well. It's just a question that we missed there about the... Um, any advice? Any advice, yeah. So, yeah, so in terms of, like, any advice I'd give based on, like, current experiences around, um, around demonstrations in that I'm finding, you know, so what an example was around a, a wall drill, a wall drive drill for acceleration. So I'm pretty good at demoing it. I do the demo, I get the guys to do it, and it's just a little bit too far away from what I've just demoed. So I, I knew I had a video saved on my phone of somebody else doing it. I went, guys, just look at this. That's what I want you to do. And I think, obviously, one of the plus sides is you can obviously point with your pencil, you can pause the video and things like that. But the reaction to the video versus my demo was just better. And if we think, like, a lot of these guys are on the phones quite a lot now. And we're finding even with the youngest guys pulling up the laptop, sticking up the demo of the superhero movement or a movement drill, um, they're reacting far, far better to the video mm-hmm. um, than, than, than the in-person drill. So that's definitely something I've noticed over the past year or so, um, that more and more using that uh, the demo. And I, I do use video extensively. 
um, within a session. I know some coaches don't, but like if I'm working one on one with a guy, I video a lot. I'll video them. Um, I'll then video me, and then we'll compare the videos. Um, and using that kind of visual feedback, I've, I've found that to probably be my best tool is, is, is using the video um, for correctives, uh, correct, how to correct the exercises linked to how I want them to do it. And then, like I say, videoing, um, even if it's you, you, you video yourself doing the demo. And again, you've got that ability to to slow it down, to point specifically to um, the shapes that you're creating or specific things that you're doing with your limbs. That for me is probably a bit of a game changer. And, and like I say, even our youngest guys of five, six, seven are responding better to the to the laptop than the than the coach. Mm, mm. So where can people find out a bit more about what you're doing? I know you've got a number of things on, so obviously your own kind of company as well as the super movie stuff and also uh, racket edge. So where can people pick up and kind of follow up from here with you? Yeah, so across social media platforms it's um H Green Tennis Fit, all one word, lowercase. The new project with um, Cy is Tennis Super Movers. Um, Website-wise, hgreentennisfit.com and then racketedge.com. So Racket Edge is uh, a joint venture with myself and my good colleague, Johnny Fraser. Um, we've done this for the past... Um, two years the annual conference um we did one previous to that so each year it gets busier and busier last year we we made it more youth specific so we had um a defined age, like age range versus in the past we did like participation to performance and i think it just kind of confused people and alienated so again this year it'll be um youth specific again around the topic of movement matters which is a tag i'll sometimes use in my social media posts um we'll have different practitioners showing how you might work with the technical coach to integrate um physical work within the periodized plan um using stats from performance analysis there'll be a practical from me and si on the super mover stuff um so yeah and and, and then a guy and matt the pledge will be presenting around growth and maturation and that that effect on on movement and, and, and adaptations you might need to make to your practice based on based on volatile periods of growth mm. so what time of year roughly would that, that be this time around um we'll link to the conversation the, the comment earlier about uh, not putting it on the weekend when i'm going on holiday <laughs> um, we may go early may mm-hmm. um if we feel that's too much of a push we might push it towards the back end of the year mm-hmm. so at the minute um it's going to be beginning of May. Okay. And where can people uh, kind of book on for that? That's racketedge.com. Perfect. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for coming on today, Howard. It's been uh, great chatting to you and getting some uh, some different insights into coaching, into the Royal Marines and, and everything you're doing. So thanks for your time. Not a problem. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'd love to hear your reviews and comments. So please do leave us a review on your chosen podcast player. If you want to visit us on social media, you can do so using the handle at AthleticEvoUK on Twitter and Instagram or by searching Athletic Evolution on Facebook. You can also visit us at www.athleticevolution.co.uk. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.